everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Much. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it is so good to be here this morning. Uh, God is truly present in this place, and we felt it ever since we came here. So um, we just believe that the Lord uh, will speak to us this morning, and he, his Holy Spirit is here. So Holy Spirit, come. Lord, in my weakness, be my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, just a little bit more about myself. Uh, I am originally from Romania, and uh, I came to the States when uh, I was 20 years old with two borrowed suitcases and a big dream in my heart, a promise from the Lord that one day I will preach the gospel. But how many of you know that oftentimes from the promise to the fulfillment, from from the dream to the destiny... There's usually a time of preparation. There's a time of formation and sometimes even a wilderness. So um, after I came to uh, America, uh, I actually became a nurse. And I worked as a nurse for 10 years. And uh, what was interesting was that at the beginning of my nursing career, um, I was in my mid-20s and I had a very strong accent. And uh, it has softened since then, but um, some of my patients would hear my accent and uh, would sometimes ask me, especially when I was getting ready to maybe draw their blood or uh, uh, give them an injection, they would ask, "Um, were you trained in America? And I would reassure them, as a good nurse does, that yes, I was trained in America, And not only I was trained in America, but uh, I'm very good at what I'm doing. But it was very interesting because when I went to seminary and I graduated and and became a minister, I was never asked that question, were you trained in America? And I could no longer say that I was trained in America. Yes, theoretically, theologically, on paper, on on my degree, it actually says that I was trained in America, as a pastor, but my training began a long time ago. Because as many of you know, you cannot learn faith from a book. And you cannot learn how to hear from God. You cannot learn perseverance in trials from a school manual. You have to experience those things. So that was my first seminary that I went to. That was my first seminary education when I was 13 years old in communist Romania during one of the cruelest dictatorships in modern history under the rule of Nicolae Ceausescu, many of you may have heard of him. And everything I learned about the faithfulness of God and everything I learned about faith and about suffering, even, even about demonic oppression of a nation, Everything I learned initially about prayer, which we're going to talk today about prayer, I learned behind locked doors with the windows covered and under the threat of arrest and beatings and imprisonment. So my message 
today will not be an American message. Because despite my, my Western education, I don't know how to talk about God any other way except through the grid through which I saw life and I, I experienced the Christian faith in my spiritually formative years. I don't know how to preach without looking in and without looking back to what I learned in persecution in my first seminary, in the trenches of the underground church. So today, we will look at prayer. And I would like you to uh, please follow on the screen James 5, 16 to 18. And the Bible says that, therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So these are the final words of one of the most glorious letters in the whole Bible. And I don't think James could have ended this great epistle any other way except to write about prayer. In New King James Version, it says that the fervent prayer of the righteous, the fervent prayer of the righteous has incredible power. You know, the Bible says that before Jesus ascended to heaven, he promised his followers that he would send them power, that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, and the Holy Spirit is here today. And the Holy Spirit has not been recalled. He's here with us. But what sometimes hinders the Holy Spirit to manifest the power of God through us and among us is our lack of prayer. Earlier in the epistle, James says, you don't have because you don't pray for it. Or you pray selfishly. The means by which God's power is transferred through, to us is through prayer. Prayer is the only thing that makes Satan nervous. Not our programs, not our charity, uh, or anything else but the power that we have in prayer. There's an old poem that says the devil trembles when he sees God's weakest child upon his knees. Satan will do anything in his power to block us from praying because he knows that there is massive power in the prayer of a Christian. And this is what James wants to teach us in our text today, how our prayers can be powerful and can be effective before God. Our prayers in the spiritual realm are equivalent to the nitrogen bomb in the physical realm. It is sufficient to have one kilogram of enriched uranium to blow up an entire county. And the same thing is with, with prayer. Prayer has power to, call, to, to cause severe damage to the kingdom of, of darkness. Prayer can turn around relationships, amen? We know that, and this is what I love about the vineyard, which is not true for other places. We believe here that prayer 
makes a difference. The prayer can change a diagnosis. The prayer can heal a divided church. The prayer can heal a divided nation. Prayers are meant to be our primary weapons as Christians, not our last resort. When it all fails, pray. No. Prayer needs to be our primary resource as believers. The only thing that will bring revival, and we want revival in, in our churches and in our nation and in the world in the third millennium, is for the church to learn again how to pray. Today, there are more Christians on the face of the earth than any other time in history. The gospel is preached in more languages and to more people than ever before. We have more pastors and we have more evangelists and, and Bible teachers, more missionaries uh, and missionary societies in the world than, than ever on the surface of the earth. Through technology, we can actually saturate the globe with the gospel through radio and through television more than ever before. Every continent, country, city, village, and, and tribe can now be reached with the gospel. But our greatest need today is not to have more seminaries to give us better pastors, better technology, or, or greater finances, none of which are bad. But our greatest need today in the church is the need for prayer, for Christians to know how to knock at heaven's gates individually and collectively in an organized way and tell God, Lord, we're not leaving until you give us what we need more than air and more than water, your presence, your salvation to come to our family, to come to our neighborhood, to come to our nation. Why? Because God can do more in one day when we connect with him in prayer than we can do in a year through our own resources and ingenuity and efforts and technology. Today, the solution is the same as it was when James wrote his letter. There is power. There is power in the fervent prayer of the righteous. This is the greatest resource that God gave to the church to resist the devil, to resist the devil and go on the offense against the kingdom of darkness. So this is what I would like to talk about this morning. And I would like us to look at three principles that, according to James, need to be included in a prayer, and for a prayer to be powerful, to move mountains, to raise the dead, to bring revival in the church, and, and to defeat any oppression and obstacle of the devil. First of all, our prayer needs to be a passionate prayer, a passionate prayer. The fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. In my language, it says the heated prayer of the righteous. The first condition for our prayer to be heard is fervency. To pray desperately with agony of the soul. Have you ever prayed like that? The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus prayed with loud cries and tears. With loud cries and tears. Our prayers need to be made with intensity and with fervency. Does God hear our whispered prayers? Yes, he does. He who planted the ear, can he not hear? We don't need to shout or, or, or to stress 
He hears us. But there are times when we come before the Lord and we have this avalanche of tears. Let that run. Let that be before the Lord and show our deepest emotions before him, especially when we are in private in our prayer closet. Many of you heard about St. Augustine. He was one of the most important church fathers who dominated the theological scene for a thousand years and, and to today. But Augustine did not become a believer until he was 31 years old, but he had a praying mother. And his mother, Monica, she prayed for Augustine so much to be saved that she said, as many tears as I cried over Augustine, I could have bathed him in them. Are our prayers bathed in tears? Is our heart in agony when we pray, Lord, save my child, save my grandchild, Lord, save my family, save my city, save my nation? Do we have that passion in our heart like Paul who said, I have a great sorrow and an unceasing anguish, he says, in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, cut off from Christ, he says, for the sake of my brothers and kinsmen according to the flesh. I'd rather go to hell, he says, be cut off from Christ just to see my family saved. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? I know I have. I prayed like that for my father. He passed away last November in Romania. I don't come, uh, I didn't come from, an, from a, a Christian family. So when I became a believer at 13, my father was the former president of the Communist Party at his workplace. He's an atheist and a political activist. And he became physically and verbally abusive to me. And I remember I would lock myself in my room and I would cry out to God and I would, I would, I would cry with groanings and with travail before the Lord for my father's soul. Lord, save my father. And the more I prayed, the worse he got. And the more I prayed, the drunker he got. And I didn't see my father be saved. For 10 years I prayed for him. Until I came to America 10 years later when I received word that my father was gloriously saved by Jesus and was instantly delivered by, uh, uh, of, uh, of drinking and of other uh, addictions that he had. Is there passion in your prayer? John Knox was a Scottish preacher, and he went to Switzerland, and he heard the gospel preached uh, uh, through uh, John Calvin, and he was so moved by the gospel, when he returned to Scotland, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. And God gave him Scotland. And because of his prayers and because of his passion, people started to repent and to turn to, turn to God and from, from a dead religion, which at that time was commonplace, to a relationship with the living God. And it is said that even Queen Mary of Scots, she used her political power to stop the masses from going and hearing John Knox preach. 
And she said, I fear Knox's prayers more than all the assembled armies of Europe. I fear his prayers. Why? Because they were fervent prayers. Because they were heated prayers. Prayers that were made with tears and from the heart and in agony. Our fervent prayers are heard in heaven by God and they are effective, the Bible says. Now, here is the question for us. Maybe you ask yourself, what if I don't feel that fervency? What do I need to do? Or what do we need to do to bring about that fervency in our prayers? Because let's be honest. In the West, it's much harder to create urgency and desperation in prayer. And I lived here long enough, and I'm part of this country, and I love it. But I lived here long enough to know that the prevailing attitude is, why should we be desperate in prayer? We don't have a Ceausescu as a dictator. We don't have tanks and insecurity around our borders to cry out, Lord, protect us from invaders who want our land. We have enough food in this country. We, don't, we have a good health care system, and, and we don't have to be so desperate when we catch a cold. We can go to church without the fear of being arrested because we're here. Why should we get desperate? Desperation usually comes here in the West only when we go through physical hardships or we go through financial hardships. And there is a tendency to ignore the moral decay and the erosion of the society, the broken lives, around us, the sex industry, the marriages that are torn apart, the young people whose lives are being tormented by addictions and bullying and comparison and, and depression. So how do we become desperate in prayer here in the West? One thing that creates desperation is when we realize that the status quo cannot go on anymore. When we get to that place where we say, that's all I can stand and I can stand no more. That's a quote from Popeye. I can't live like this anymore in a land where, there, where this is going on, where people are shooting each other, where there's violence in schools and on the streets and in churches and the innocent blood of the unborn defiles the land. Rampant immorality. When we get to that place, then it's when desperation begins. But if we continue with that mindset, well, if nothing happens, at least me and my family are okay. What can I do? I will say a little prayer. I give a few dollars, and I'll continue to live my life. If we're comfortable with the status quo, desperation will never happen. I'll give you an example. In the days of our dictator, Ceausescu, we all felt that he was invincible. We actually thought that he was immortal. Nobody could imagine that he could, he could be removed ever from power. So when he said, I will control all the mass media and, and newspapers and radio, television, what's taught in schools, and everything will be communist propaganda and, and indoctrination, we said, 
balcony. When he said, no more buying food whenever you want to. Everybody will receive a small ration of food and you come to the store every 10 days and you get your ration and you make it stretch for 10 days. We all said, okay. And when he said, you, you cannot say anything bad about the government, you cannot criticize anything we do or you will be arrested, we submitted. And then one day, one day, the last thing that we had, our faith. Going to church, the freedom to seek God whenever we wanted and, when, and, and where we wanted, that was taken away from us. We were not even allowed to at least find comfort and find solace in each other and in our faith. So we turned to the homes and we started to pray in the homes and small groups here and there. But even that was not saved because that was illegal to meet in private homes for any religious reasons. So homes were raided and Christians were arrested and were thrown in prison because we prayed. That was our crime. And the abuse was so severe that almost every Christian family was either persecuted for their faith in some form or they, or they lost a loved one either to prison or death. Even non-Christians suffered for questioning the actions of the government. And, we, and they were arrested and fear gripped the nation. And we began to ask, how much longer, how much longer can we continue this way? Ceausescu is too big for us. He has all the power. We have none. America is not going to help us. England is not going to help us. Germany is not going to help us. We have no one. But yet life cannot go, go on like this either. Something must change. And desperation set in. And we began to cry out, God, the way we understand you, you are a good God. You are a just God. But we can't put two and two together. A good God in a bad situation that has gone on for decades. And thousands of prayers unanswered. People suffering. This can go on. Lord, do something. And we became desperate. When we reached that place where we say the status quo, no matter how familiar it is, no longer works for us. It is not an option anymore. Then we become desperate. And when we become desperate, we're willing to pay any price. We're willing to turn off that Netflix show and go on our knees and pray. And in Romania, we, we, we took it to the streets and protested empty-handed against tanks and machine guns. And against all odds, we want our freedom. When we become desperate, please hear me. When we become desperate, we're willing to come out of our comfort zone and to come out to prayer. Remember how it was at 9-11? We're willing to come to prayer. When we are desperate, we're willing to make changes. We're willing to um, begin to draw near to God. And the Bible says that when we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And the strongholds are broken. It is what John Wesley said, God does nothing except as an answer to the prayers 
of his people. Sometimes God chooses to tie his own hands behind his back and says, in this situation, I will not intervene unless the people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And only then I will hear from heaven. James says, you don't have because you don't ask. So let's ask. So let's ask. Let's come before the Lord with a passion. And let's come not with a thimble. Because if we come to the Lord with a thimble, he will fill our, our thimble. If we come with a bucket, he will fill our bucket. But let's come before him with a train wagon for God to fill it, not for ourselves, but for our families and for our nation, for our city, for the people who need bread of life and heaven and living water. We become desperate when we refuse to be comfortable with the status quo. And when we start to pray impossible prayers, that's when we start to pray impossible prayer. I remember as a teenager going to prayer in someone's home. Every Saturday we would go and then every Wednesday and under the cover of the night watching my back so nobody would follow me. We would go into the house and lock the doors and cover the windows and we would kneel together and we would pray the most outrageous prayers. The most outrageous prayers. We would ask God to give us the stadiums to preach the gospel at a time when churches were closing down by the government and were demolished. We asked God for the radio and for television to preach Jesus at a time when our pastors were arrested for preaching. We prayed that there would be a Bible in every house in Romania at a time when our Bibles were confiscated and burned. But when desperation sets in, you might as well ask for the big things. And that's what we did. We asked for a wagon full, the most impossible, impossible prayers. You have nothing to lose. Ask for the impossible. And our impossible was not a thimble, but it was a wagon. And everything we asked for and more, God gave us. And I'm a witness of that. Romania now is, is not only free, but Romania now sends missionaries to other countries of the world. And the gospel is preached on the stadiums and in city squares and, the, and on radio and on television. Is there a holy discontent within you? Let's stop complaining about it. And let's start become desperate in our prayers. Let's refuse to let the status quo continue. The fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. Second thing, our prayer needs to be made with a clean heart. The fervent prayer of the righteous. Now, what does that mean, the prayer of the righteous? Because when I read that, the first thought that comes to my mind is, but, but Lord, I am a sinner. I am far from being righteous. I'm not, I'm not clean. Does that mean that God doesn't hear me? I want you to know that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are righteous. Because Jesus says that he cloaked you with his righteousness. That you have the righteousness of Christ. And God hears your prayers. Yes, but you don't understand. I don't feel like my heart is pure. I'm sinful. You don't know what I'm doing when nobody's looking. I have so many sins in my life. 
Then, G- then J- James says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Do you remember the last time you confessed your sins before the Lord and cried over your sins? When you said, Lord, forgive me. Lord, awaken me. I repent of my sins. Lord, there are attitudes and there are sins in my life that block your outpouring of power and and spirit and grace in my life. Lord, bring them to life, to light. I I want to confess them. I want to, to, to forsake them. I want to hate them as much as you hate them. Lord, I'd rather be dead than dirty. Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, unrighteousness. He will make us righteous when we confess our sins. The fervent prayer of the righteous, of the forgiven sinner has great power for our prayers to be effective and powerful, to be that atomic bomb in the spiritual realm. We pray desperate prayers with passion, with holy fire in our bones. We pray with tears, and then we pray with a clean heart. We confess our sins, and we pray like Daniel, Lord, I have sinned. My parents have sinned. I live in a a nation that is sinful. Lord, I'm dirty. Wash me in your blood. Forgive me. Set my feet on the right path. And after we repented of our sins, we come before the Lord with full confidence and full of faith for what God has put on our heart to pray. The fervent prayer of the righteous has power. You are righteous. You're righteous before God. But there's another element necessary for our prayer to be effective. We can pray passionately. We can pray with a clean heart and with faith. But we also have to pray persistently, persistently. Listen to what James says. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed once. No, no, he prayed earnestly. If we want our prayers to be prayers that move mountains, if we want our prayers uh, to, to raise the dead, to change marriages, to bring revival, whatever we need, prayers that, that bring the lost children home, that turn our communities and nation before, uh, back to God, this is the secret. We need to pray persistent prayers. And we see that when James talks about persistent prayers, he thinks about Elijah. Why does he do that? Because there is something that we need to learn about Elijah. The Bible says that the Spirit of God one day sent Elijah the prophet to a widow living in Sarepta Sidon. And Sarepta Sidon, it's important because it was in modern day day Lebanon, but at that time, it was a Phoenician city. Sarepta Sidon was a Phoenician city. And this is significant because the king of Israel at the time of Elijah, Ahab, was married to the Phoenician princess named Jezebel, and Jezebel convinced her husband to abandon the worship of of Yahweh, the the God of Israel, and to worship Baal instead, her own deity. And Ahab and Jezebel ruled as king and queen in Israel at the time of Elijah. 
Now, Jezebel hated prophet Elijah with passion, and she tried to kill him several times. And she made the surrounding nations uh, promise her and swear to her that Elijah was not hiding in their country, on their territory. She wanted him dead. For God to send Elijah to Sidon in Phoenicia, where Jezebel was born, where she was from, was like God taking out a persecuted Christian from a communist country and sending them not to the United States to safety, but sending them to Moscow during the Cold War. God told Elijah to go not to a safer country when he was running from Jezebel, but God says, go into the kingdom of Jezebel's father in Sidon. So in the midst of that hostile kingdom, God will provide for Elijah. God's ways are sometimes so strange. And it makes me think about the verse that says that he lays a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Maybe you are in a hostile situation right now. Maybe people around you are, are hostile towards you. Maybe you feel like you're in the lion's den and you don't know what to do. God says, I prepare a table for you of blessing and of favor. I am with you. I give you strength right there in the presence of your enemies. I am with you. And inside, and God provides for Elijah in the house of a widow where the flour and the oil, the food doesn't run out, even though there was a, a drought and a, and, a, and a major famine in the land. But after some times, the only son of the widow dies. And the woman says to Elijah, man of God, why have you come here? So that you can you remind God of my sins, my son is dead. And when Elijah hears, he asks the woman to let him take the child into his room. And he brings the dead child into his room and prays over that child and nothing happens. And then he stretches himself on the dead child to warm him up. Maybe that would help. And nothing happens. And he, he gets up again and goes on his knees and he prays and nothing happens. And he goes back to the child, stretches himself again, nothing happens. And he does that several times. So when James reminds us of Elijah, that he was a regular person like us, but he prayed persistently. This is what he wants us to learn from Elijah. Never, ever give up. Perseverance in prayer. How to fight your battles on your knees. Please hear me. What Elijah asked God to do to raise that dead child has never happened in scripture before. And Elijah says, I don't care that there is no historical precedent to what I'm asking. I don't care that it has never happened before in the history of humanity. And he goes to God and says, God, I will not leave you alone. This woman was good to me. She fed me. She gave me a place to stay. She protected me in her home. And for you to allow this to happen to her child, Lord, give her back her child. And Elijah prays with agony and persistence and doesn't give up. And suddenly the boy's soul enters his body 
and he takes a deep breath and life comes into him and Elijah gives the child back to his mother. And the woman says, I know now that you are a man of God because the word of God in your mouth is truth. I pray that we will be known as, as in our families and in our neighborhoods as people in whose mouth God's word is truth. May it be known that here, right here at our church, we are men and women of God who know how to pray persistent prayers and fervent prayers like Elijah. We don't give up. Elijah was a man with the same weaknesses like us. And it is not hard to deduce from the account that we have of Elijah that he was a melancholic personality, that he probably suffered from depression. He had the same weaknesses as us, but he knew the greatest secret to prayer, persistence, persistence, tenacity. And here in our text, James actually reminds us that Elijah was a man like us who prayed for a drought during a drought that God would actually open the heavens and give rain again. And Elijah prayed and he didn't give up. And the Bible says that, that Elijah sent his servant during this drought to look at the Mediterranean Sea and to see, look across the sea and, and see if there was any sign of rain. And the servant goes and, and he doesn't see anything. And Elijah goes back on his knees and prays and agonizes. He sends his servant again to look. Is there anything? And he comes back. There's nothing. And Elijah does this seven times. Seven times he prays, seven times he looks, and he agonizes with his face to the ground. He cries out to God. He pushes the limits of his faith. He perseveres. He calls for God to release his power. He refuses to give up. And the seventh time, the servant returns, and the servant says, I saw a cloud, a little cloud, just the size of a human hand rising from the sea. And the Bible says that soon the sky was black with clouds and a heavy wind brought on a terrific rainstorm. What is the lesson for us? Don't give up. Don't give up. Some of you gave up. Some of you gave up praying for certain things because you asked once, maybe you asked twice, and nothing happened. James says, don't give up. Unless the Lord tells us to stop praying for something, we keep praying. James says, pray with persistence like Elijah. Insist to the point of exhaustion. Be bold. Be cheeky. Never give up. When Jesus was on the earth, he told a story about an unjust judge who had no compassion and was approached repeatedly by a poor widow seeking justice. And the Bible says that for some time, this, this judge refused to help this woman. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about man, but because this widow keeps bothering me, she keeps persisting, I will see that she gets justice. And Jesus says, did you hear what the just, unjust judge said? Did you hear what he said? And will not God listen to those who cry out to him day and night? I tell you, surely he will listen, the Savior said. 
day and night, no once, day and night, persistence in prayer. And this is the story of so many believers across time who have seen God's hand move and change their generation when they prayed. When we moved to Lancaster, we saw that there were so many Moravian churches there. And you know, the Moravian brothers and sisters in the early 1700s, they were persecuted all over Europe. And they began, became refugees on, uh, and settled on, um, on the land of a man, wealthy man named Zinzendorf. And there they started a prayer chain that lasted 120 years. Every moment of the day and night, someone was praying. Even children took shifts. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks of a year. Uh, in, uh, for 120 years, generations changed. And the prayer continued uninterrupted, persistent for 120 years. And out of the persistent prayer was birthed a missionary movement that evangelized faraway islands and distant lands, including the United States long before William Carey was even born, who is considered the father of modern missions. The Moravians prayed earnestly, persistently, and God used their lives and gave them the power to minister and the purpose for their lives. And this is what God expects of us. It's what God expects of us. If we want to see change in our church, if we want to see change in our nation and in our families, we have to learn to pray desperate prayers, prayers that come from a clean heart and with persistence. Howard Taylor says about his father, Hudson Taylor, who's missionary in China, he says, for 40 years, the sun never rose over China that God didn't find my father on his knees. For 40 years. Do we want to see the unlimited power of God manifested in our midst, what are we willing to sacrifice? Because it is not going to happen without sacrifice, without turning off the TV, without turning off that social media. And it will take all of us to humble ourselves before God and ask with agony of soul, Lord, give me my family. Lord, give me my neighborhood. Give me Chester Springs. Give me Pottstown. Lord, give me the United States of America. Elijah was a man with the same weaknesses like us, so we have no excuses. This is what James is basically saying. We have no excuse. Is there hope for our situation in our life? Is there hope for our children? Is there hope for our loved ones? Is there hope for our nation and for this world? Absolutely, yes. Who holds the key? You do. And I do. We do. You know, the most heartbreaking words in the whole Bible are the words that God gave Ezekiel that say, I searched for a man among them to repair the wall and stand in the gap for me on behalf of the land so that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. May God forbid it that we should be a church without intercessors. And I don't think that's the case. 
I think we are a church full of intercessors here. May the Lord have mercy on us and make us people of prayer and faith like Elijah. The man who had the same weaknesses like us, but who prayed persistently. And his prayer opened the heavens and moved to the heart of God. May God make us men and women of prayer who pray fervent prayers, who pray persistent prayers, and from a clean heart. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.